What a beautiful name it is and a beautiful day for us to share together and worship. God is good. And all the time. Two summers ago, we began this journey in Matthew 5. In January, we picked up Matthew 6, and today we look through Matthew 7. As you know and as you've heard, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and a section of Scripture that I've really wanted us as a church to go through and to complete. It's some of Jesus' most concise, most critical teachings for us in our life, in our community together. Matthew 5 focused on us, as in this, I know it's been a while, but on the teachings of Jesus and recognizing those teachings in our relationship to the world, looking at the Beatitudes and salt and light. In Matthew 6, we talked about building our life, build my life, Lord, and our intimacy with God and our relationship with God. Prayer and fasting and charitable deeds as others. And here we are in Matthew 7. We looked at our relationship with the world. We looked at our relationship with God. Focusing on our relationship with each other. The kingdom of God. The overall theme of this Sermon on the Mount. But focusing specifically on build your kingdom here. Building God's kingdom is not just something we do, but it's something we pray that God does for us. Build your kingdom. It's a prayer, not just something we do. So let us pray. Gracious, awesome, almighty God. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name. Recognizing, Lord... Your presence, your love, your hope, your conviction. As we seek to be kingdom builders here in this Memphis Shelby County community. Recognizing, Lord, the opportunities we have. Recognizing, Lord, the forgiveness we need. So as we come, may it be your voice, your priding. May it be your heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas Watson, the chair of IBM in 1943, said this. I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. Ken Olson, the chairman and founder of the Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977, said... There's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. In 1963, Decca Music Recording Company stated, We don't like their sound. The groups of guitars are on their way out. 1964, Capitol Records said of the same group, We do not think they will do anything in this market. You know who that was? The Beatles. The Beatles. Whoops. A review of Alice in Wonderland stated, We fancy that any real child might be more puzzled than enchanted by this still overwritten story. The editor of the San Francisco Examiner told Rudyard Kipling, I'm sorry, you just don't know how to use the English language. What would you call these statements? 
Mistakes. Whoops. Misjudgments, misjudgments at the least. Miss business deals too, probably, that go along with them. The first area Jesus focuses on in Matthew 7 is on misjudgments, but not of the financial sense, but of the relationship kind. And the consequences could be even worse. So join me in our text today as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, first chapter, first book of the New Testament, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I hope you'll follow along in the Bibles you brought, devices you have online. Hope you'll follow along with us too this morning. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 1. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgments you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give, you will, excuse me, the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they would trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Pretty tough passage we have this morning in our journey. So I ask your prayers for the preacher as well as the receiver. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's jump in. Verse 1. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. Ever heard that? Ever used that? This is a passage that has been used and misused so often. Could it be that simple? Could it really be that simple? Do not judge. Done. Sermon's done. Go home. No, not really. Not yet. But really, could it be just that simple? Jesus' whole life was an example of this. And I guess if we lived as we're told to live, we're guided to live, then it would be. But it's not. There are several arguments why we should not judge. We shouldn't judge because we don't know the other person's whole story. You know the saying, don't judge a book by its Don't judge another till you have walked in there. Our daughter, Brooke, just graduated from high school. It's been a great celebration, and we've been blessed with two amazing children. While growing up, Brooke was uh, really good about telling me when we disagreed that, Dad, you don't understand. And I'd look at her and go, yeah, I do. I've been there. I, I know what it's like. I, I know what you're feeling. I really thought I did, but I really didn't. You hear that? I really did. But what I really needed to give was to give her a chance to explain what she's going through, what she's feeling. I needed to listen. And as a result, I might see her situation differently. I might react differently. Our task for our children, 
Really, our task, even in relating to others, is to look for one's underlying beauty and accentuate that. Seeking to understand them rather than being quick to judge them and think we know what it's like or how they feel or what they're going through. Another reason we shouldn't judge is because we can't be impartial in our judgment. We say we're impartial. We, we, we try to be impartial. We do our best to be impartial. But no matter how hard we try, we're going to lead to one side or the other. We should not judge because nobody's good enough to judge another. Remember what the overall theme of the Sermon on the Mount is? What is it? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And if this sermon and this context and this scripture calls us to live it out, then how do we make the kingdom of God a reality? We don't judge. But if we're not going to judge, then what does the kingdom of God look like? Where's the balance? Where's the difference? Where's the standard? There has to be one which helps others turn back to God. There has to be one we can lean upon. We can rest upon when the bright lights of understanding begin to darken and we're not sure which way to go. We're reminded throughout Scripture to repent for the kingdom of God is near. As we begin to look at the scripture a little more specifically, we recognize in the first verse that that Paul, I mean, excuse me, that Matthew's statement and talking about not judging is really talking about a judgment of condemning another, a final judgment. We don't need to condemn another no matter what they've done. But we do have to at some point discern between what's right and wrong. Verse 2 talks about with the judgment you make, we will all be judged. We all make judgments. The concerns on how that judgment is made. The ultimate standard is not that we, that we are not to judge. It's in building God's kingdom that we shoot for. But here's the reality. We live in a fallen world with fallen people and that begins to be hard to apply, to discern, to understand. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks, but a little bit later in chapter 7, specifically verses 15 through 20, those begin to be addressed by discriminating between good and bad fruit. So Jesus ultimately tells us, be careful if you judge, because the actuality is you might be bringing that judgment upon yourself. For we only make these judgments with the knowledge and understanding and awareness of our own failures. And hopefully an understanding and reality of God's forgiveness. We're much more apt to receive the constructive criticisms of another when they've been there. And we know they've been there by their humility and understanding. I think that's why parenting can be so hard. Sometimes the advice we're trying to share with our children and actually the advice we're trying to share with others is interpreted as being judged. We've been in their shoes. It's hard for them to see what we're trying to teach and how we're trying to protect them. Sometimes, though, they have to learn through their own mistakes. Sometimes, though, we have to learn through our own mistakes and suffer the consequences 
that come from them. We can do that when we're willing to admit our mistakes to others and we're willing to ask for forgiveness. So here's what it boils down to, I believe. We cannot be vocal in our criticism of another without taking corrective action in our own lives. That's what Jesus begins to teach us in verses 3 through 5. The judging, first, should be done on ourselves. But that shouldn't be done alone. We need community. We need each other. We need the support. We need the encouragement. We need the accountability. Leonard Swede, a famous Christian author and even speaker too, and maybe you've heard of him, talks about accountability in a very unique way that has stuck with me. He calls it editability. Editability. For example, he talks about David and Nathan in the Old Testament. Remember King David, or to be King David, and his best friend Nathan? That Nathan used this editability to share warnings with David before he spoke, said, or did something that he really would regret. Ultimately, in the kingdom of God, we should leave faults of others to God. If we lived in these characteristics that we've learned throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, the disciplines of the faith in Matthew 6, if we apply them to our life and practice them actively, then perhaps there be no need for judgment. But once again, what's the reality? We're guilty. That's why God sent Jesus for us. A path. A path to deal with this guilt and an example of God's grace. Right? Some religions say, pursue it all. Pursue to perfection. You can reach that point in your life where anything you do, everything you do, everything you think is perfect. But we can't ever reach that. It's only God's grace that allows us to be redeemed. But it seems there's still some people that don't get it, that, that hear it but don't receive it, no matter how hard we try. That's where verse 6 kicks in. Look at verse 6 if you've got your scripture open. What in the world is that verse doing here? Do we really got to talk about it? Can we not just skip it and move on? And when you start preaching a series of a chapter, then it's hard to just ignore a verse such as this talks about holiness when we've been talking about the sins of those, including ourselves, who strayed within the community. Two animals are referred to. What are the two animals? Dogs and hogs. The dogs and hogs. Uh-oh. It's SEC tournament time, right? <laughs> Baseball time. Sounds like we're getting after it. Missing some of our Arkansas people, but there's some still here, I, I guess, this morning. The dogs are out. The rebels are too, but we won't go there either, if you know what I'm talking about. So how do the Jews view the pigs? Unclean, dirty, the epitome of ritual impu uh, impurity. And the dogs are not talking about pets. We're talking about wild, stray, dangerous animals. They tear you to pieces. And the pigs, they'd be happy to stomp you in the mud. You ever given somebody something precious, something personal, something real, something that means a lot to you, that holds a lot of value, 
And they just, meh, thanks. Set it aside. Don't use it. Let it ruin. Don't care if it breaks. Stomps it in the mud. Sometimes we do all we can to help somebody. Sometimes we do all we can to reach them, to, to, take, or to you know, take the benefit of the doubt and to be present with them. If the opportunity arises, we want to share why we do this and what it means. But afterwards, we learn something. We see something. We hear something. We receive something, and we feel we've been taken advantage of. We feel we've been stomped in the mud, and we've been torn apart. Some people's minds and spirits are shut to the gospel, and they don't seem interested in getting it or willing to apply it. So should we waste our breath? I don't ever believe it's wasted breath. It may be hard to talk to somebody about Jesus, but it's always possible to show them, and that's what we're called to do. Our weakness is not in having the right words. It's in our persistent witness. How we live. How we love. How we want to be loved. Judgment works the same way. Words of conviction hurt. They can cause deep pain. They can cause broken trust. But when the words don't match our witness, even our forgiveness, then the motives can be challenged. Have you ever been asked for help by a stranger? Ever been at the grocery store or in a parking lot of a department store or on the street corner or at a gas station and somebody's approaching you for help and what do we do? We look at them in the corner of our eye. Please don't ask me. Please don't ask me. Sometimes they tell us a story. It's a sad story. and We don't know if it's true or not, but we've already judged them before we even heard the story. Something doesn't sound right. Something doesn't smell right. Things just aren't adding up. But we don't know their story, and maybe we should. I'm grateful for the food pantry volunteers meeting today and Thursday, for the room and in volunteers that weekly take time to hear stories and get to know people and mourn when they're lost or ask them the next week what's going on or how a certain situation is turning out them. When people ask for help, do we stomp them in the mud because they're swine anyway? Are we afraid they might tear us apart because they're a scary dog? We can help in some way. Or at the least, we cannot hurt them. Share a wave. Say hello. Make eye contact. Even listen and let God be the judge. Unfortunately, the church can be one of the worst places for judgment. We kick out the hurt and the wounded. We put up a fence to keep out the dogs and the hogs. We're even known to bark at each other. We need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. In order for this kingdom to be a reality, in order for us to help build the kingdom rather than tear it down, we can't judge unless we're willing to judge ourselves first. 
Let us take out the logs of our own eyes that we might not see the speck in our neighbor's eyes and be vocal about it, but that we see their beauty and we take action that shows them the kingdom of God. I wonder what statements will be written about us personally and even about the church. I wonder years from now if they will be accurate or if time will prove that they're misjudgments. I don't think there's any way I'll invent a computer. I feel pretty confident I won't be in a famous band one day or have any written works published and be famous by them. But I sure hope my witness as a Christian, I sure hope my actions as a follower of God is seen as one who's helped build his kingdom through his love. Knowing that sometimes love hurts, but love always heals. Always heals. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize the opportunity we have as a community to be present in your kingdom and to be reflections of your kingdom. We also recognize, Lord, the opportunities that we have probably not walked the path you've called us to. So, Lord, as we seek to be your kingdom builders, may your grace and mercy abound, and may it be reflected in us. In your name I pray. Amen.